1 Corinthians chapter 4. Now I'm going to pick up, interestingly I preached, well I don't know how long ago it was now, but I did do what was a, an introduction to a series that I've been wanting to share and uh, speak on and that is on discipleship, the topic of discipleship in, in the Bible. And so I did do an introduction and we'll touch on that very briefly, but um, uh, and over that time, there's just been obviously other uh, aspects that related to Israel and we had the trip to Fiji and, and all the rest of it. And so here we are, I want to pick it up and really what is part two and of a series that really has many aspects to consider or we can look at over, over time in terms of what discipleship is, what's the process of discipleship and what it means to be a disciple and there's just so many aspects in scripture that relate to this and it's important because you'll remember that one of the emphasis or the emphasis that I wanted to make in the first message was in Acts where it says the disciples were first called Christians okay you know we talk in now we talk it in the flip side Christians need to become disciples right but the disciples were first called Christians and uh, this is really symbolic, and that's why I wanted to kind of us to have that uh, understanding there in the scripture, because you'll find that uh, the word Christian appears three times, but the word disciple appears uh, hundreds of times, literally, uh, in the New Testament. Now, uh, again, I must preface for what I'm going to say, and that is that uh, over the years now, 30 years, I've, I've got, I realised I've got like about 10 books on discipleship on my bookshelf and recently read another one. And, um, and they all in a certain way have, uh, have been a blessing. But also I must uh, admit that um, uh, where I came from, uh, where I was saved for 20 years and served uh, for all of its, uh, some of the errors that were associated with their practices and some of the abuses... The, uh, the principle of discipleship was something that was very prominent and uh, when I look back I still, I still consider valuable lessons that come from the practical aspects that are related to the process of discipleship because that's what it really is, there's the practical aspects. And so, um, and, uh, and as a result of that I've seen the measure of success as well. So, but in, in saying that, I'd like to stand here today and say I can have a lot more to say from my experience where I have uh, over the years, I would, uh, uh, my prayer is, Lord, that's what the call is, to make disciples. That's the challenge of ministry. That's the challenge of Christians. It's the challenge of the pastor in, in all things is to make disciples. It's a great commission going toward all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. And so it's such a central theme in the scripture as we've identified. And so, discipleship is biblical, and uh, and despite some of the excesses that happen as a result of human failure, and it's just the nature of it. Read the Bible, and you see it in the in in the, in the epistles as well. So, but as they say, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. We just got to get it right. We need God's grace to maintain the tensions and the balances in check because obviously we can veer to the left and to the right. But that doesn't mean we disregard it. It just means we've got to get it right. And we've got to make the necessary adjustments where it's it's required and regardless of those things that we see out there. So we need God's grace in order to do this. 
But when you read your Bible, and especially when you read the epistles, Jesus Christ is the perfect disciple maker. Jesus Christ, he is the perfect disciple maker. He said, if you abide in my words, uh, you shall know the truth and the truth will make you free. And that's not just in terms of salvation, that is in terms of Christian living, the Christian life. As you abide in that truth, that truth brings continual liberty to your life because we're abiding in Christ. Discipleship. And he charged his own disciples, 12 of them, and he said, go into all the world, and others that were he was commissioning, obviously, Go into all the world and what? Make disciples of all nations. And so one of the books that I have on my bookshelf is, uh, is an interesting title on discipleship. It's, it's, it says, uh, Disciples are made, not born. And then it says in the caption, um, Making disciples out of Christians. Now think about that. Disciples are made... Not born. We're born into the family of God. We are born again, born of God, born of the Spirit. That cannot be manufactured by men. That is a miracle of God. Okay? And that's what makes us a Christian, is that we are born from above, in that we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. We have called upon God. And as a profession of faith, we are saved, born again. That's what makes us a Christian. But you see, Christians uh, have to become disciples. That's the call of God for all of us, is to be disciples of Jesus Christ, followers of Jesus Christ. And so disciples are made. They are not born. There's a process to making disciples. And this is the challenge for us all as we embark on this lifelong um, um, journey of making disciples or making disciples out of Christians because you want to know another truth not all Christians are disciples after the biblical definition after the biblical pattern um, because there are certain conditions there are certain things that we see in terms of what defines discipleship what is required of us and sure, we might be saved, we have, uh, we, we're Christians, but have we, have we become, according to the Bible's definition and understanding of discipleship, have we become true followers and wholeheartedly following the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that is what encompasses discipleship. And so the, the biblical pattern is what is required. And so the principles of discipleship in Scripture, I think it's important for us to understand that they, they don't relate to the issue of salvation. Salvation, as we know it, is by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves, lest any one of us should boast. And so it's not a criteria that we meet. The criteria is that we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's faith that justifies and that brings, peace, brings us peace with God. But that's not to neg- and that's foundational, but that's not to negate the, 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 the difficult passages of Scripture that we will examine over this period of time and we'll be confronted with the realities of what it means to be a Christian, to call ourselves a Christian. Because again, the disciples were first called Christians and when you look at discipleship and you look at disciples in the Scripture, it's a challenge to all of our lives in one way or another. 
And so when we talk about the principles of discipleship, in essence, we're talking about our response. See, salvation is of God. Discipleship is a process that we have to embark on. We have to willingly engage in. We have to some will- willingly submit to. And so it's something that, that is, is based upon our response to it because we can resist we can withdraw, we can, we can uh, sidestep the, the, the process of discipleship in terms of obeying and all that's associated with the term, which we'll touch upon briefly um, in, in this particular message. But our response, our commitment, our faithfulness, these are foundational to discipleship and our commitment to Jesus Christ. Our response, our commitment, our faithfulness, these are critical components to discipleship. And so I want to start by saying, saying this this morning, and you'll pick up as we look at in the scripture. But it's not about, when we talk about discipleship this morning, it's not about you and Jesus. Okay? It's not about me and Jesus. There may be exceptions, but generally speaking, as we study the word of God this morning, it is important for us to understand that God's methods, God's principles... Because when I meet people and it's just me and Jesus and they have not submitted to church authority and they're not submitted to the people of God, I have alarm bells ringing in my head. Because it's not you and Jesus. It's not the way, that's not the process of discipleship that God has set in, in order. And again, I know we have an anointing that teaches us and Jesus is the disciple maker. And yes, but you know, Jesus has actually set a pattern. He works through men. He works through people to accomplish his purposes. And so we can't short-circuit that or just dismiss it on some general basis. Yes, men fail. I get it. And there are some exclusive exceptions to the principle. But the principle is clear. And this is what I want to touch upon, upon again this morning. Because you'll remember one of the statements that I made last time was, was uh, one of the definitions of discipleship in Scripture. And again, this is one aspect. Is a, it's a Holy Spirit-ordained relationship. A Holy Spirit-ordained relationship. And so this is really critical in the process of discipleship. So let's look at it in our text, in the scripture. Jesus trained the twelve. It was a personal relationship. Paul the Apostle highlights the same principle. So let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Paul writes and he says, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you, for though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason... I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Amen. Now here's Paul, and he's emphasizing this point that I'm trying to make, is that one of the principles of discipleship is a Holy Spirit-ordained relationship. You know, when we, when we, if someone leads us to Christ, they become generally a focal point for us, don't they? they whom we talk to, we engage with, they instruct us, they show us, they teach us the scriptures. 
I'm not talking about the pastor per se, but that that's, is ultimately relevant. I'm talking about all of us in ministry as a body of believers, as we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, as we seek to win souls to Jesus and be fruitful, and in doing so, we now take on the responsibility of discipling others. And because that's the pattern. And so this is another example of a Holy Spirit-ordained relationship that we see on a number of levels here in the Scripture. Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he says to them, My beloved children. Now I want you to note the disposition that Paul emphasizes, his affection, his love. He's not just treating them as, as just the, uh, some uh, separate entity. He says, my beloved children. And this is how Paul is viewing them. It's so affectionately as a father and a son. And it's interesting that he'll touch upon that when he refers to Timothy again. But can you see he's, the nature of the relationship to the church and to the individual, because it's corporate and individual. He says, my beloved children. And he says, I'm writing to you, not that I want to shame you. He says, I'm writing to you to warn you. Or in other words, I'm not here just to you know, give you a stern rebuke. I'm not here just to make you feel guilty and ashamed, although he wants to bring direction and some correction to their lives. But his heart is he loves them. He considers them as his children. He's saying, I have a responsibility This is what is motivating me. It's not that I want to shame you. I don't want to beat you into subjection. I don't want you just to feel guilty uh, because I might point a few things out. But I want you to understand, I'm warning you. It's war- uh, word, the word warn means to put in your mind. He says, I'm, I'm trying to teach you and instruct you and guide you and lead you because I love you. Now, he says these words. He says, though you may have 10,000 instructors in Christ... You don't have many fathers. Now, these are profound words, in my opinion. He says, uh, you might have 10,000 instructors, but you don't have many fathers. And it's true because fathering, in in the biblical sense here, requires a lot of commitment. It's a lot of responsibility. That's what we have in, we have people that have, uh, uh, we have a generation of absent fathers, don't we? You know, people, they want all the pleasures of sin and uh, sex and all of those things. But then when there's uh, pregnancies and children, all of a sudden men go missing and are not fulfilling their fatherly roles. We're having a generation that's fatherless. And, in the, you know, and they think the state has to kind of raise them up. And this is, this is problematic, causing us immense problems. But you don't see fathers are really important. And he says, you might have 10,000 instructors. And it's true in the Christian life, there's a lot of people that you'll talk to them and they're really quick to share their opinion. They're really quick to tell you what you need to do. And then off they're gone and they've disappeared. 10,000 instructors. But where are there's not many fathers, fathers who will be there, who will, be, who will suffer long, who will endure, who will persevere, who will go through the pain that is in the processes that are associated with discipleship. And this is exactly what Paul's going through in this instance because he's having to deal with some problems within the church. 
And then he says to them, he says, though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Now Paul's not trying to be boastful here. He's not trying to big note himself and puff himself up. He's acknowledging a reality. And that reality is, is I, God used me. And, and uh, I was the one that led you to the Lord through the preaching and through my ministry. I have begotten you. And so that word begotten literally means uh, um, to, uh, to, uh, to, to be born of. To bear. He says, God has used me to lead you to the Lord. And what's his instruction to them? Look at verse 16. I urge you, imitate me. I urge you, imitate me. Now, he doesn't say, I command you. (laughs) Although sometimes you may feel like you've got to do that. But he's, he knows his place. He knows the limitations of his authority. He can't overstep. You know, you can't control people's lives. But he's appealing to them as a father does to his children. And in doing that, he's saying, I was the one that begotten you. This is like family, isn't it? You speak that to your children. You're my child. I gave birth. You know, I didn't give birth. Your wife, my, your mother did. But you know how. <laughs> but you know what I mean. And so because your whole life is invested in that child. And then they grow up and become older and independent. And they're like, hmm, you think you know things? <laughs> yeah, I do. And I'm trying to bring godly instruction and wisdom. And so, these are the, and so the thing that plays out in the family plays out in the church because it's the same principle. And it's interesting. He says, I urge you. He says, I'm not commanding you. I'm pleading with you. I'm appealing to you. And he says these words, imitate me or follow me as I follow Christ, or he says that in another place, doesn't say it in this instance, but he says, I urge you, imitate me, imitate me. You see, this is their response now to his plea. And it's interesting because this word imitate, when you think about it in the Greek, it, it, to, the, to the Western mind, this is really seems a little odd. But let me, let's look at it in the Greek because it means an imitator. And the root word in the Greek means to mimic. Mimic. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? What, is, what do children do? They mimic their parents, don't they? It's part of the process that God has ordained. Okay? It's, you know, we think in, in, when we talk about this word mimic and imitate, in, in our, in our you know, enlightened generation of individualism, we all think that, you know, now you've got to let the child have its own expression, be this and be that, and all the rest of it. But you see, children need to be trained. They need to be discipled. They need to become learners. And in the process of that, they're going to mimic some, some things. And they have no understanding what they're doing or why. But that's okay. That's okay. It's not to be criticised. It's a good thing. Because in time, they will grow into that and they will mature with understanding. And the two coming together in terms of our example and our lives is what sets the course for them and ultimately brings them to maturity and to adulthood. And then the work is done. It's the same in the Christian life. And so such words like this today, mimic or to imitate, is, is, is degraded in our generation. 
but the Bible's clear. The Bible's very clear. And I think it's one of the reasons why we have such problems in the home. It's one of the problems that we see in our education system where there's teachers have absolutely no authority over children anymore. And just the nature of things, they don't understand these principles of discipline that are related to discipleship and so forth. But moving on, I don't want to veer off here. Paul says in verse 17, he says, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you. He's sending them Timothy. Now notice his reference to Timothy. He says, Who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord? And he will teach you or remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere. So in other words, Paul is saying, I have trained, I have discipled Timothy personally. It was a Holy Spirit ordained relationship. And I have invested in Timothy. I've taught him. And so I'm sending him to you because he knows my ways. He knows how I operate. I've, and he's, uh, this discipleship is like, you know, a disciple is not above his, his master. But everyone who's perfectly trained will be like their master. That's the principle of discipleship. And so here's Timothy. He's going to send him. And he says, Timothy, you'll put those things in order. And what you've learned from me and what I've taught you, I want you to implement that now when I send you to Corinth. And so this is what happened. But notice his reference to Timothy. It says, my beloved son, my beloved and faithful son in the Lord. Because it's not of ourselves God it's in the Lord God ordains these type of relationships God brings these people into our lives when we get you know I first got saved I remember I had a Holy Spirit ordained relationship and and yes it, there was not you know there wasn't without its problems but God was working in the midst of that because that and that was foundational at that time in my life and I believe that God, when, when people come to Jesus, when people are saved, that this is critical that they have this, that, 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 that relationship in the Lord with another individual. This is God's method. It's God's plan. It's discipleship. And so he says to Timothy, he's a faithful son in the Lord. Now I want to just build on that a little bit more because in 2 Timothy chapter 2, Paul, verse 1, Paul says to Timothy when he writes to him personally, he says, my son in, therefore he says, my son in the Lord. Now notice that my son, it's, 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 he, he refers to him in such affectionate terms as a son, a faithful son in the Lord. And he says to Timothy that he's to go about the ministry that God has called him to as he he encourages him and directs him in these things. And he says to Timothy, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So notice this. A faithful son in the Lord and this, this issue of faithfulness is, is mentioned twice in terms of Paul's relationship to Timothy because Timothy was faithful. And that's why Paul was drawn to him and invested that much time into him. And then he says to Timothy, what you need to do is you need to teach others also. 
And what's the premise of the qualification of teaching others? Faithfulness. Teach these things to faithful men. Faithfulness is such a foundation stone of discipleship. Faithfulness. You know, you can have all the talents and gifts and all of the, you know, you can have all these aspects about you, but if you are not faithful, faithfulness is about character. Faithfulness is the cornerstone of usefulness to God. Faithfulness. And it's in that faithfulness that you are depended upon and you can be relied upon and you are entrusted uh, with with, uh, these things. And so Paul's saying, Timothy, don't just teach them to anybody. Teach these things to faithful men who will be able to also teach others. And that's the process. It's ongoing. See, how can a person be discipled when they are not faithful? When we're just hit and miss, when we, we can't, if we, if we feel called of God and we want to be used of God, then we have to be faithful. And how does faithfulness express itself? In a local church. That's how it works. If, you, if we're not plugged in and planted, then, then and, that, and that basis, that foundation, this is where God forms us. This is where God works in us, and it's in a local assembly, in a local, against a local group of believers that we are attached to. That God ordains, that God puts us in and works in and through. But faithful, can we be, how can a person be discipled if they are not faithful? So listen to Paul's further words to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And he says to Timothy as he's commissioning him, and he says in verse 10, he says, But you, Timothy, And he he says, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, I'm adding here, my faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions. In verse 11 he says, in other words, Paul is saying to Timothy, you have mimicked, you have imitated me, you have carefully followed my and he, he names those things. He says, "My doctrine or my teaching that is related to the truth, a sound doctrine that Paul expounded for us in his epistles that we uh, contend for as part of the faith as once and for delivered to the saints. So we talk about the teaching, the doctrine, and he says, "You've carefully followed my teaching, my manner of life. In other words, he watched Paul's example and he began to follow that. He said, "Oh, Oh my gosh, Paul gets up and he prays. I'm going to pray. Paul reads his Bible. I'm going to read my Bible. Oh, Paul does this and he follows Paul's manner of life and purpose and he identifies with it and he's following. You see, you can't reproduce this in a Bible college. I'm not saying that education, education is really, it's fundamentally important. I'm not just doing away with that entirely. But I'm saying to you that this aspect of discipleship cannot be replicated in a classroom. It's only one aspect of the process. These are the principles, the eternal principles that we see in Scripture that God has set in place. And the, this process is a challenge. It's, it's, it's not easy. But it's God's way. And so here it is. He says, you've followed my manner of life. 
You have imitated me as I've imitated Christ, in other words. My purpose, my faith, my long-suffering. Paul obviously had to suffer long with the various churches that he had to deal with and the problems and, and the issues he had to endure and write about, which we know. And he suffered long with the churches because he loved them. And no doubt Timothy would have seen Paul's example and said, you know, I fo- I'm following the one that has taught me. And he became, he first, and he said, well, wait a minute, isn't he a disciple of Christ? Absolutely he is. But God has used, you go, you go and make disciples of all nations. And this is what's happening. And God is working through those human relationships to fulfill his purposes and build up people in the faith. So that word followed carefully means to follow near, to be deliberate, to be observant, carefully followed. I've watched your life and I'm following those aspects that the, and those uh, things that you have set in order, those priorities. Remember, disciples are made. They're not born. There is a process to discipleship. A disciple this morning is a learner, as we've said before, a learner, a pupil. And, uh, but it, in, in, if you look up the word discipleship, it means to be an adherent. And, and that word adherent is interesting because it means to stick, to hold fast, to attach yourself. And that's what we do when God saves us and he brings us into a local church. He plants us amongst a group of believers. There is an attachment that comes to that. There's an adherence. We're all part of one another. I know we're all part of the body corporately. I, I get that. But we're all re- representative locally in churches. And so this is where the plan of purposes of God are fulfilled as he works in the midst of our lives. And so we are to be a learner. We are to be a pupil as the word disciple represents. You know, I remember when I first went to India, oh gosh, now, I don't know, it was over 20 years ago. And I remember, um, you know, I've come, obviously being Australian and Aussie, so I'm going into a different culture entirely. And so I remember going to this church and the pastor was there and he was having a, 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 a teaching session where he was teaching these men and I noticed that as he sat, as he sat, or was out there, or sat there, that these other, all these men would sit at his feet, around him, and listen. It was so notable, and I thought, yeah, that looks weird, you know, because we we're Aussies, you know. <laughs> well, later for that. <laughs> but you see, I learned and realised that in Indian culture, they have an esteem for the teacher. And so, so, so when the teacher teaches, it is common for them in their culture, they learn this, that they, it's, they, representatively, they sit at his feet or in front of him, like you would at a classroom with kids, you know, where a teacher would teach and the kids will sit. And so, and I found that interesting, not because I think, you know, okay, I'm going to bring that back to Australia, you know. Everyone has to sit down on the floor at my feet when I teach. No, no, no. Obviously, it's, it's something that's exclusive to that culture, and it's in other cultures as well. But for us, it's not about the culture. It's about the, the principle. It's about the heart. It's about the disposition of heart that is required in the process of discipleship because if we don't have that spirit 
of submission and of hearing and of learning, but somehow, you know, we just individuals and do our own thing, then we are short-circuiting God's work in our lives. And so this is important. The Western, Western culture doesn't, and the Aussie culture doesn't get it. Mimic, imitate me, sit at the person's feet. We think, mate, <laughs> not in the Australian culture. A bunch of rebels. Not you guys, you're ethnics. I'm talking about Aussies, right? <laughs> no, but it is true, though. Like, Australians, you know, they, they tend to not to, like to submit to authority. You know, all those unionists and all the rest of them. <laughs> now, but moving on, let me say this. It's interesting because Paul the Apostle was speaking, and he was speaking about his own life as a young man. And uh, this was pre-conversion, before he came to encounter Christ. And in Acts 22, verse 2, Paul is speaking and before the council there at Jerusalem and he says, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, or Sicilia, whatever it is, brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous towards God as you are all this day. So he obviously he's identifying something uh, about himself to the people, to his countrymen as he's come back to Jerusalem and he's saying, you know what, I am a Jew, I was born from here and I was taught, I was discipled at the feet of Gamaliel, this teacher of, of the Torah and I was taught as a Pharisee unto the strictness of our fathers. And uh, I, I, so I learned and I implemented it. And that's why Paul was so zealous, wasn't he? When he went, when he wanted to persecute the Christians and kill them because they were opposing God and the Torah. And he thought, you know, he was so strict according to what he had been taught, what the Torah taught him to do. He said, these people need to die, these Christians. But notice his expression. Now, was he literally taught at the feet of Gamaliel? Possibly. Jewish culture. But the point is, is that there's a spirit here. I don't, I'm not trying to say this is what we need to do. I'm saying we need that same disposition of heart where we become a learner, a pupil. Because this, when, I, when I see this, in, especially in young believers, this disposition, this quality is, is priceless because you can pour, you can teach, you can impart. And then they're, they're, those, they're, those are the ones I've seen from my experience in the Christian life who go on to maturity and stability and strength in the Lord. Now, I know there are exceptions to that, but I'm generally speaking because it's a biblical principle. But the modern culture doesn't like these pictures. But it's about the heart this morning. That's what I'm getting at. And it's a, rooted in a Holy Spirit-ordained relationship. Now, moving on, I want to consider with you, why is it that so many uh, avoid or don't like to become true disciples of Jesus Christ? And now, I'm talking now to Christians. I'm using the word Christian and true disciples. I'm making a distinction deliberately. Because we have to become disciples. 
We have to become true disciples of Jesus Christ. And there's the reason why uh, this path of discipleship is avoided and neglected or whatever the case may be is because the path of true discipleship this morning is the path of total commitment. Total commitment. I mean total. Not some, not part. Total everything. What's it going to cost? Everything. Because when we look at the scriptures and the demands that, and the cost of discipleship in scripture, it's going to make us feel a little uncomfortable. We're all going to be deeply challenged because the call to discipleship, the call to be a disciple, means that you have to lose your own life in order to follow Jesus and be a disciple and considered his, one of his disciples. And so... These are terms that are associated with discipleship that people avoid. You know what some of the terms of discipleship that we don't like to hear in the modern day? Obedience. Submission. Don't say that word. Submission. It's a biblical word. It It is paramount. To biblical discipleship, submission. Where these things are lacking, you will short-circuit the process of God in your life. Submission. Accountability. Responsibility. Confession of sin. Sacrifice. And discipline. Discipline. You know, the Bible says, discipline yourself towards godliness. In fact, Paul says to Timothy, physical exercise profits a little. He's not disregarding it. It's a good thing. All could do with it. I know I could. But he says this. He says, exercise yourself towards godliness. Discipline your life towards godliness, godly living and holiness and righteousness and doing God's will because that is eternal. So these are the words that are associated with discipleship that this generation wants to avoid. These are loaded words. They are. I don't, I'm not trying to diminish them in any way. Uh, when we talk about obedience and submission and responsibility and sacrifice and discipline, I mean, these are, these are loaded words and they, uh, uh, they require something of us. But see, where the heart this morning, where the heart is not truly yielded to Christ, where, the heart, where, where, where there's a heart who desires, whose desires are rooted in this world, and where there's a heart that loves itself more than it loves Jesus, these words will cut against the grain. You won't like to hear it. Mm, don't, don't. You know, it's, you know, we don't like, let's be honest, we hear the word submit and it's like, <coughs> there's something inside us that goes, <coughs> you know, because of our nature. But yet they are at the heart of discipleship in Scripture. And so where our heart is not fully yielded to Christ, we will be deeply challenged and convicted. We won't like the things that we hear. We'll probably may even get offended at some of the things that the Scripture is going to tell us, as they did with Christ. And, uh, and uh, then Jesus gave him a hard saying, and the Bible says that many uh, of his disciples walk with him no more. They all said, I'll see you later. This is a hard saying. Because you're going to get some hard sayings in, in, in the Christian life, and it's going to demand... And sometimes you're not even going to fully understand everything. And are you still going to obey God? These are are genuine questions that we have to grapple with as part of this process in the Scriptures. 
And they rub against the grain. And the truth is they are meant to. Because the whole issue is that we have to submit ourselves to the Lord this morning. You see, we say we love Jesus, but will we truly follow him after the biblical standard this morning? Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. See, Jesus is not a part of our life this morning. He is our life. He's not just a part of our life. He is our life. When Paul the Apostle, it's interesting the story of Paul the Apostle this morning. Because here he is. He's uh, uh, on his horse to Damascus. And Jesus knocks him off his horse. And he's knocked to the ground. He has an encounter with God, with Jesus Christ. And you know what he's confronted with? He's confronted with Christ himself. He says to him, it's hard for you to kick against the guides and resist Resist what I'm doing in the earth. But what's important is, and I highlight it again, is that Paul's response at this moment in time. He actually, he's brought to a place of submission before Jesus. And he says, Lord, what do you want me to do? Notice, he doesn't say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? He says, Lord, what do you want me to do? He's brought himself instantaneously into perfect submission to God. And he's saying, and he addresses him as Lord. And he says, what do you want me to do? Because the Lordship of Christ this morning is central again to the whole principle of discipleship. Now, I know that for those that are aware of and have experienced, there is a distinction between what is referred to as Lordship salvation. Okay, because in terms of uh, of our, what saves us is faith by grace, and uh, you know we can attach sometimes works, and it's a whole issue. But I don't want to get into it here, but other than to just uh, identify and make that distinction this morning. But I'm talking about the lordship of Christ, and so this cannot be underestimated. This cannot be uh, explained away. The lordship of Christ is biblical. It is central. And the word lord means master. That Jesus is our master. See, we love to claim him as our saviour. He's the one that has saved my soul. But he is lord and saviour. And so we have to, he has to be lord of our lives. He has to be the master. He has to be the one who can say, this is what I want you to do. When we, when we bring ourselves into perfect subjection to him and say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And sometimes it will confront our will. Sometimes it means you're going to have to, you have to deny yourself in terms of your time, your desires. I don't know, but whatever the Lord, what's, what's the Lord's will? It's not my will. It's your will be done. And so Paul is brought into that place. You know, it's interesting in Acts 9, verse 8, when this actually happens, where we find this, that the Bible says that Paul is then blinded and uh, this happens for three days. And then it says that they led him by the hand. They grabbed him by the hand and they led him. For three days he was led by the hand. You know, that's a beautiful picture. The Lord blinded him for a reason, made him utterly dependent, utterly brought into submission and subjection. He couldn't even see. 
He had to be dependent upon people to lead him and to instruct him. And then God speaks to Ananias and he says, go down and speak to him. And he says, well, wait a minute, God, this, you know who this guy is? And he says, yeah, I know. He's a chosen vessel of mine. And, and Ananias, he says, okay, Lord, and he goes. It says that, that God spoke to a disciple named Ananias. It doesn't say it's, he spoke to a Christian named Ananias. And I make the emphasis of that this morning deliberately because he spoke to a disciple named Ananias because it's disciples that are tuned in that can hear from God because we say yes Lord and then we we obey and that's what Ananias did but Saul was led by the hand hand to hand and that's that's again this is Holy Spirit ordained these are some of the principles I know this sounds basic it can be a bit weird maybe for some but there's a precious truth that I'm trying to highlight this morning that I pray you can see A Holy Spirit-ordained relationship. You see, let me ask the question to you and to us all. And this is a question we all have to ask ourselves at various stages of our Christian life. But have we ever honestly and sincerely prayed and asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? Because we've got our own plans. We've got our own purposes. And I'm, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong in those things. I'm just saying, what does God want? What does God have? What does God want you to do? And we have, especially as we grow uh, in, into maturity in Christ, have we ever just said, honestly, Lord, what do you want me to do? And waited to hear a confirmation from God. God might say to you, I, I want more from your life. I want you to be more faithful. I want you to be more committed. Oh, my gosh, how dare you say that, Pastor Gary? No, that's what God will say to us. Because God will always require more from us in these things, especially when we attune ourselves and say, okay, Lord, speak for your servant hears. When we, when we come with a disposition like that, then God it will he'll say, okay, you, I can use you. You're faithful, I can entrust things. And so he will begin to put more responsibility into our hands and use us for his kingdom. So he is our master, he is our king. And it means that he has power and authority over our lives. You know, the kingdom of God this morning is a theocracy. It's not a democracy. It's a theocracy. I remember, this is what they indoctrinate our kids with. Democracy. People power. People power. What I want. No, that's not how the kingdom of God operates. The kingdom of God is a kingdom with a king. And the king has his will. And the king is the ruler. He's the one that has all authority. And we are subjects to the kingdom. We have to have a kingdom mentality. So we don't live in a theocracy literally externally, but we are to live in a theocracy in our hearts before the Lord, that God is in control. And so we find it hard because of the, our culture sometimes. It leads us to think in a certain way, but it's contrary to the principles of God's word. We're not in a, the kingdom of God is not a democracy. Right. Doesn't work like that. We don't tell Jesus what we want in that in that sense. He tells us what He wants, and we say, "Lord, what do you want me to do?" And yes, Lord, that's what that's our role. Our Laodiceans, yes. And so. It's in this context this morning that words, as we've said, obedience, submission, accountability, responsibility, sacrifice, they all find their expression. 
And we can't be a disciple of Jesus if he's not Lord of our lives. It's simple as that. And let me say this, as I've already touched upon as I conclude. Our submission to God will find its expression in our submission to those whom the Lord has placed over us, elders. And the relationships we have in life, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Okay? That's how it works. And so, because again, people say, oh yeah, you know, the church is corrupt, it's this and that and this and that. We can go on, we can find a hundred reasons why not to obey the scriptures. But you know, there are biblical principles, they do have an expression, they do have an application. And so we must understand that this morning. And so, let us take heed to these things. Our submission to God will find its expression in our submission to those whom the Lord has placed over us. And the relationships we have in life, because we are called to submit to one another. And as I reiterate that point, if a person cannot submit to another, then how can they can submit to Christ? That's true. It's true. It's how it works. And so God help us this morning to just identify some of these principles. I'm, obviously, we're going to go a lot, there's a lot more to cover, but I just, I'm reiterating these primary principles that surround the foundations of discipleship. And I pray God helps us this morning in that. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. My God, we just ask, Lord, that your hand be upon the assembly. Take the words that have been spoken, Lord. Let us examine ourselves. Let us test ourselves, Lord, in relation to these things because we're not just called to be Christians. We're called to be disciples. And, Lord, I pray that we would examine ourselves in light of this. And, Lord, help us to be the disciples that you have called us to be. Lord, bless the assembly. Bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.